Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you, Brother Steve, and uh, appreciate all your help. And we're turning back to the second epistle of the Corinthians. And our key verse out of here is verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Now, we began a number of weeks back making a statement concerning Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 25. And there the verse says, The Lord hath opened his armory and hath brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Now an armory, as we think of one, is usually a place where one stores weapons, and there are specific Hebrew words which address the English translation as a place of weapons. The word is used here in Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 25. It's a bit broader, and includes a number of things that one may want to store in quantities, such as uh, food and grains, that would be an armory, uh, gold or silver. And once again, weapons are included in this broader definition where some are more specific about just being for weapons. Now God is reminding the nation of Israel that he has an unlimited number of weapons which he will make available to his faithful people. Now. Babylon had not been kind. They had not been good to the Jewish people. And so he tells Jeremiah, and we know that it was a book that was read by the Jews that were in captivity at the time, because Daniel says so. So when he was reading, then he discovered that it was going to be a, a desolation of 70 years. But anyway, I mean, as it was, it is, it would say that he's one of them that, listen, I am angry at how Babylon has responded, and uh, I want you to know I have got plenty of weapon to deal with that anger, uh, to deal with those individuals on your behalf. And so we are in a spiritual warfare in which we as individuals will continually come under attack from Satan and his troops through personal attacks of our flesh, the use of others, and, and the use of circumstances in our life. In and of ourselves, we are no match for the cunning and the craftiness of Satan. Amen? You cannot stand against him in your own flesh or your own self. And for the redeemed of the Lord, God has placed in his army the weapons that you and I need to stand fast against the devil and his fiery weapons. Satan is a master of psychological warfare, a master at deception, cunning in his mind games, crafty in his lies. Amazing he can make something so wrong seem so right. So God's armory provides us with the tactical weapons that we need to wage a successful war regardless of whether his attacks against us are physical or psychological. Each of our past topics, be it impatience or guilt, be it uh, conviction and materialism and gossip and fear and doubt and discouragement or discontentment to name a few. Our weapons uh, that God has provided that, that we can be effective against these uh, particular deals with the devil. 
because he likes to play mind games, telling you that you cannot do something that God's called you to do, or that you, you, you cannot do this because of some things that you may have done from your past. And so he plays these psychological mind games, and he uses them to convince us that we can't be effective because we, are, because we have a, 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 a debilitating problem in our lives. And so we turn to the Apostle Paul, who is a powerful testimony of what to do when we feel convinced that we are inadequate for the task at hand. And so the devil wants us to all believe that we're all inadequate to that which God would have us to do uh, or how God would have us to, to live our lives accordingly. And so, Father, we pray this one that you guide and direct, and we look at the message this morning with the primary uh, idea of, of Satan's use of, of different uh, emotions. And Lord, there may indeed be some things from our past that he just constantly keeps bringing up. Constantly is trying to beat us over the head with those things. And Lord, it's, it's a psychological a warfare that, Lord, diminishes us to be able to do the things that we would do. And, and Lord, if we can't love ourselves, then how in the world, Lord, could you love us? And so, Lord, we pray that you'll guide and direct. And, Lord, you know the nature and the need of every heart, both here in the sanctuary and at home. And so, Lord, we pray today that you will guide and direct. And, Lord, convince us that, uh, Lord, that we're capable because of what you have provided for us to get the victory over the devil. Regardless of what his attacks may entail, uh, Lord, we have weapons that are far superior to his. And so, Lord, you guide, you direct, whether it's to salvation or to rededication, that you might be honored, that you might be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. So, point number one, it happens to the toughest. Amen? It happens to the toughest. And uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 24 through 28, we'll kind of look at that a little bit more closely here. Uh, but in uh, chapter uh, 11, verses 24, that's not where I want to be. 11. 11, I'm sorry, I'm getting the wrong chapter. Uh, verse 24, it says there, Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of beating. And they didn't, they didn't just kind of slap you on the wrist. They went for blood. They went for flesh. Broken bones, whatever damage they could do in that process. And so the Apostle Paul is making a statement here. He's not bragging, by the way. But he is sharing something with us, I believe, that is important to chapter 12. And so, of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with, uh, with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils to the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And so... Does that sound like your life? Would you probably say that men, based on that, I've got it pretty easy. Someone may snicker because I'm a Christian, or they may snicker because of this, they may snicker because of that. But folks, I, I don't know too many of us here in America who have gone through something like this in this modern age. Now, if you were to go over into the Muslim nations, and uh, that's a different story, because they do atrocious things over there to those who are believers. But when one reads the historical record of the Apostle Paul, once he came to a saving faith in Christ, and he shares the difficulties of his ministry, one thinks of a pretty tough hombre, amen? I mean, he's a pretty tough individual to be able to pick himself up and move on to the next city or to the next group or the, 
to the next place to be able to minister. He says, five times received I forty stripes with rods in verse 24. And we, we kind of rush through those things and we don't stop to think for a minute and look up and maybe uh, on the internet and say, what was a whipping in the days of uh, the early church? In, uh, and you might get some appreciation for the exhaustion, uh, literally beating you to within what they would call an inch of your life. Maybe you've heard that expression, I'm going to beat you to an inch of your life, you know. As a parent, please don't ever say that to your child <laughs> along the way. But three times beaten with rods. Now, you know, rods were something like clocks came there. And you were tied to a post or you were laid on the ground stretched out spread eagle and they would come and they would just lay rods across your back and that you talk about hematomas and things that, well, that was a mess flesh was broken muscles were laid bare bones were definitely broken at that time and so three times with rods once he was stoned and of course uh, that may well be in reference to the fact when Paul was uh, literally taken out of the city and he was stoned and he was left for dead and so uh, and you can read about that again uh, in the previous uh, chapter. So, shipwrecked tw three times and left afloat in the deep a day and a night. Verse 25. It's hard enough just to float in a swimming pool if you have one for a couple hours, let alone to be there day and night. And they didn't have life jackets. They didn't have a national guard to come out and rescue you one thing or another. You just had to float until... Eventually, I think the, the current took you to the shorelines or you were able to make it and float along the way. But facing every conceivable danger, it says in verse 26, in journeys often, in perils of water. Then, uh, you and I can walk down our streets relatively safe. Back in those days, if you journeyed outside the city limits and if you've ever been over in Israel or places like that out in the country, uh, sometimes you're out in the country driving along and you remember as a kid, maybe you lived out in the country and... Uh, you walk those little long country roads, and uh, you kind of, kind of a little bit nostalgic. Uh, you were young; you could do those kind of things back in those days there. But uh, when you're traveling from one city to the next city, again, there were no taxis and no buses, no bicycles, no cars, no Ubers. There weren't anything out there. There were Ubers maybe, but no, no, no Ubers. Uh, that were they were looking to get rich off of you, the individual. And of course, we know the Good Samaritan and the uh, biblical passage of the of the Good Samaritan that was beaten up and left to die along the side there, and it wasn't it wasn't a Jewish. Uh, it was an individual Jewish that had, been, uh, that had been beaten and robbed and it took a Samaritan who was hated by the Jews to come along and actually tend to the needs of this individual. So uh, it was perilous. You didn't, in, in, even in Israel they said that they would travel usually two and three or four at a time when they were going, whether they were going from, uh, from Nazareth down through the hillside, down through the valleys and going down towards the Sea of Galilee in those areas there. I mean there was all kinds of places for robbers and thieves and everybody else to, to hang out here just waiting for someone to come along and, and to uh, make an easy uh, take, if you will, by robbing and stealing. And so he was also overwhelmed with the rigors and responsibilities of the ministry to which he was called. And that's always a, a burden that evangelists carry. That's, an evangel that's a, uh, a burden that missionaries and pastors carry and staff members carry. And that is the responsibilities of the ministry. And I'm not talking about whether we dot our I's or cross our T's. We ought to have that down pat by the time we get to be a pastor. Uh, but it's the idea that uh, when, you're, when you have people in your church that are going through difficult times, it's hard. You, you, you pray for them and you, you want to be able to cheer them. You want to be able to encourage them. Uh, but then you also see those who, who have turned their back and walking away and uh, one thing or another. And so these are the cares that you carry with you and you lift them up before the Lord and, uh, let, and let the Lord deal as he has to deal. 
But again, in the book of Acts chapter 16 and verses 16 through 24, uh, we have the recorded event of, of Philip in the, in, the, in, the, in the city of Philippi as we look at Acts. And we know, we should at least know what this is all about, beginning in uh, Acts 16. I'll get there in just a minute. Looking in verse 16, the Bible says there as well, it says, and it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel uh, possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by Susan. Now, in other words, she was plaguing Paul and his disciples as they were giving out the gospel. And she was walking behind. Now, I would have thought this would have been a good thing, that she acknowledged that these were the men who were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But... Paul said it grieved him because I guess she was turning everybody off. Nobody wanted to listen. And didn't give Paul an opportunity to be able to introduce or be able to, to enter into his message and do it. It was such a, such a way that would draw people's attention to him along the way. And so uh, he exercised the, the demon that was in her, the spirit of divination. He exercised that spirit and all of a sudden now she was not this boisterous, loudmouth woman running around make, making a mess of Paul's ministry or one thing or another there. And of course this upset some people who made statues to Diana because all of a sudden now hmm, they don't have this prophetess, so to speak, to be able to make money off. And so they, they were plagued by a possessed lady, as you read about it in verses 16 uh, through 18. Uh, she had become a nuisance, which grieved Paul, as we states it in verse 18. He says there again in verse 18, let me get there. Uh, and, this, and this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out at the same hour. And so Paul commanded the spirit of divination to come out of her, which upset her masters, as we read in verses 18 to 19, where it says, and this did she many days, and uh, so on there, and it says, and he came out, in that verse 19, and when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers, and they were going to silence the Apostle Paul and silence Silas from preaching the gospel. Because if people got saved, they didn't need Diana. Imagine that. They didn't need those idols. They didn't need those images because now they had their saving faith in the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, a long story short, they brought charges which landed Paul and Silas getting one of those beatings mentioned in, in Corinthians chapter 11. Many stripes were laid upon them and then they were tossed into the prison and placed in stocks. Now, I've never witnessed that kind of a beating, but I've, I've read about them historically. And could you imagine being dragged and then tossed into a prison, locked in stocks, the amount of pain that you had, and all the problems that the beating caused, and there's nothing you could do about it. You were locked in stocks without being able to move. So the torture continued. And I believe that the, the beatings were so bad that it actually probably cost caused Paul and Silas to faint or to pass out. Because the Bible says at midnight they began to sing songs of hymns and praise. And so, looking in verses 21 through 23, 
They were accused of teaching customs, which were not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up and together against them, and the, ma and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them, that means with force, into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, one would think, would they not? One would think. Think for a moment that these men must have been the toughest of the toughest. In this day and age, they would have been probably called Marines. I don't know if you could say that or not. Those in the Army might be a little upset with that. But the truth of the matter is, these were some tough men. They endured things that we haven't even imagined. And yet we look at some of the things that we complain about, and if we understood what these men endured... We'd have to admit, in comparison, we are really sissies. We just, I like my air conditioning. They didn't have it back in those days. So we complain about a lot of things that we really have no business complaining about. It is life in the life in which we live. But think for a moment that these men must have been the toughest of the toughest, and nothing could cause them to question their effectiveness for the Lord and the gospel. They were very effective. And those who stood by and watched and understood, and these men would get right back up and they'd go back to exactly what it was that they were uh, being uh, beaten over, and they would do it again, and they'd do it again, and they'd do it again. Now, I ask myself as I, as I look at this, and I say, have I, have I given the ministry, or have I given the gospel, or have I given my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, have I given it my all? Could I have, should I, should, should I have done more than what I've done? Is there something about me that is a hindrance? And there we go. The devil has a whole tablet full of hindrances why you can't be used of the Lord. And if we listen to him, we'll be convinced that there's little to nothing that I can do because I just don't have it in me. And so is there something about me that is a hindrance? Surely God could have chosen someone more qualified than I am. Lord, you could have chosen the preacher or the Sunday school teacher. You could have chosen my, 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 the, the friend in church that I, that I talk with and I pray with. And Lord, you could have chosen them because I think they'd be better at it than I am. So we have all these excuses and all these reasons why we can't do what God wants us to do or what God's called us to do. Surely, God could have chosen someone more qualified. And on go the doubts about our adequacy or lifting up our inadequacies as to why, God, you need to choose somebody else than me. So... Second point is it happens to the weakest. It happens to the weakest in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, when one reads the historical record of the Apostle Paul, once he became a, a saved by faith in Christ and shares the difficulties of his ministry, one thinks of a tough individual. Five times Paul received 40 stripes. And so few, if any, would say that the Apostle Paul was a sissy 
or that the Apostle Paul was a weak individual. Now I believe the Holy Spirit of God laid out for us a pretty adequate argument for Paul's being a man's man among men. And yet, in the strength of his character, there was this one thing that left him feeling somewhat inadequate. And the devil doesn't need a lot to bring some of us down or to stop us in our tracks along the way. And it didn't paralyze him. We know that. But it caused him to question his overall effectiveness. And this is never a good place to be for us. He says in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 12. And lest I should be exalted above measure for the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And for this thing I, be, I, I besought the Lord thrice that he might depart, that it might depart from me. Well, we have no actual idea what this thorn thing was other than it was seen as a detriment to his overall effectiveness by himself else he would have ignored it and served the Lord in spite of it and it made no difference to God when he called Paul he knew that Paul had the thorn but we have excuses of I don't have a good singing voice I don't have this and I don't have that some say, I'm too tall or I'm too short. Some may say, I'm too round. <laughs> I don't have a high education or any number of excuses that we can come up with. One simple little thing along the line. But Paul's effectiveness was never of himself. Paul's effectiveness was always of the Lord. The wisdom of the Lord our God is seen in this historical record in not naming the thing which Paul envisioned a hindrance. Therefore, you and I can say, ah, I got that. I can't do this for the Lord. I have an excuse. I have a reason. And so a thorn is a thorn regardless of its substance. And therefore, the attention is to be given to the effectiveness of the Lord our God's ability to use us in spite of any alleged weaknesses that we feel is handicapping us in the ministry. Basically, you and I have no excuse. So I do not believe that this thorn was merely a perception by Paul, but that it was real, it was genuine, and perhaps maybe there from birth. But certainly, sometime prior to his coming to faith in Christ, the thorn was there. And Paul was, has reasoned that the thorn was there to keep him humble. And so don't look at what we perceive as an inadequacy as something that is a detriment, but a tool that God's going to use to humble us, to realize that it's the power of God that rests in me, not me resting in God, as much as it's God resting in me. I need to rest in the Lord, no doubt. And so Satan is going to use every trick in the book to make us feel inadequate to the task of which the Lord calls us to do, whether it's a Sunday school teacher. I mean, when when uh, Pastor Wilson has gone home to be with the Lord, and uh, he asked Peg and I to uh, take over the junior high youth group, I was one of those hum, 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 the kind of guys, and feeling, who would I? Because I knew the pastor's son was going to be in there, and he'd go home and tell his dad, you know, that guy's pretty stupid. 
doesn't know his Bible or something along that line there. But you have all these reasons why you can't, why you can't, why you can't do certain things along the line there. And it's always amazing how God is capable and able to take care of all those barriers that we feel are in our way or those obstacles in our lives. And so we know that whatever the thorn was, it was healable, whether physical or psychological. And a lot of times the devil plays mind games with us because it might be uh, something about our facial features that we don't like. And yet God's created us. And if we don't like it, then nobody else likes it. Well, you know, it's amazing what people can do. They can look beyond those things when there is something really genuine and sincere in the heart that manifests itself outwardly. And so in verse 8, he says again, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Lord, please take this thing away. Because when I'm preaching, I see people looking at me and they kind of like, Ooh, one of those numbers. I don't know what it was. I don't know. Some thought maybe he had uh, those bulging eyes. I forget what that's a, that's a th thing that they call, call that. Uh, it could have been just any number of things that, um, even in his speech, that might have been a, a, uh, what he felt was a detriment. But you know, God can use us in any physical state that we are in uh, that uh, we consider as a somehow a detriment along the way. And so, can God use any natural abilities that I have? Yeah, absolutely. And so we need to come to that place in our lives where we realize that God is not after my abilities, but my availability. Amen? So maybe I don't have the abilities. God's going to call me. Um, I know that when my older brother Jerry joined the FBI, uh, he had graduated from Nyack College in Nyack, New York, and he was uh, working at the time um, as a educational pastor at the church where Peg and I had surrendered to the ministry under in Bristol, Pennsylvania. And uh, so he went down and he applied and they said, uh, don't worry about uh, your background. He said, we're going to teach you what we want you to know and to do what we want you to do. So uh, he didn't have any, what he felt were natural abilities. He didn't go to any any academies. He didn't in the military or anything of that nature there. But they were going to teach him how to become an FBI agent. And they were going to teach him the tricks of the trade and how to do all the things they needed to do to make America safe. And they were going to do all that. Well, you know, that's what God wants. He wants our availability because he wants to grow us. He wants to train us up in the way that we should go. How we should serve him. Now, I had a lot of things I wanted to be when I was growing up. And it wasn't until I finally surrendered to the Lord. The Lord said, okay, now this is what I want you to be. Not what you, and even at that, I tried to tell him what I wanted to do and what I wanted. He said, no, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. And he trains you up. And he put me in those places alone. And I, I, I'm thankful for the experiences I've had prior to that. But I could have been in the ministry a lot sooner if I had just been a little bit smarter and surrendered a little bit sooner along the way. And so we have to understand that, that what God is really after is not my abilities, but my availability. And uh, Paul's response in verses 9b and 10 are this. He says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in, infirmi in, in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. 
I, I don't know that a, that a preacher can be absolutely spiritually as, as effective if, if preaching and this kind of stuff comes natural to him. Because then he doesn't have to pray. He doesn't have to ask people to pray for him. And so when you're putting a message together, you say, Lord, I need some help here. Lord, I need some, I need some guidance. I need some direction along here. Lord, how do, I, how do I express it? How do I explain this? How, how do I deal with this? What portion of scriptures would you have me to use? And so you give the Lord time to respond in your life accordingly. And that's important for you to do. And so um, God will, will bring you into an, a phase of ministry. And sometimes he will help through the pastors or maybe through other staff members uh, to teach you and to guide you along the way. I'm thankful for the four years that I had in Bible college. I'm thankful for the additional postgraduate degrees that I've, that I've got along the way, the studies that I've entered into. It's, it's helped broaden my understanding of certain things in certain areas. But uh, God can God use my natural abilities that I have, and absolutely. However, our abilities will need to become subservient to God's plan and purposes for my life. I can't spend all my time on someone's roof or underneath someone's house fixing this and fixing that and doing this and doing that. One thing or another, I've got to have some time that I put in the Word of God. Uh, and that's why it's so tough when Brother Steve is uh, working a full-time job and taking care of a full-time family and having to uh, uh, put messages together. It's not easy, is it? By God's grace. Uh, it's always, it was always done by God's grace. And so you have preachers who are bivocational. It's hard. It's not easy to do those kind of things there. And so um, my, my, my uh, natural abilities have to be subservient to the things that God would have me to do first and foremost. And for the simple reason that whatever God has in mind is bigger and bolder than my natural abilities will be able to facilitate. I cannot facilitate what God has in mind for me through my natural abilities. Because God's going to give me some spiritual abilities. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Spiritual abilities that are the absolute necessity for the ministry. And God gives to you spiritual abilities too. And so we need to be busy for the Lord and allow those, those ability, that ability or abilities, that gift that God has given to us to percolate to the surface so that we can be busy about the, God's business for our lives. And so, verse 10b says, For when I am weak, then am I strong. And that comes to a place where I, oh, you come to a place where you have to have absolute um, confidence in God's leading and instruction in your life. And so, it was a weakness in Paul's life that he knew that if he was going to get beyond it, he had to walk closely to the Lord. And so it is in our own lives that we realize that, that the devil is trying to, trying to beat us down and to badger us with things that, that, are, that may be genuine inadequacies. That we have the grace of God in our lives that can overrule, override, and lead us to, to a much more effective ministry when we allow the grace of God to work in us and through us. So if God calls us based on our abilities, we will find ourselves doing in the flesh what we should be doing in the spirit. I believe that's what happens when they talk about ministry, ministry burnout. Preachers get, get, get uh, fatigued and missionaries and evangelists, they get fatigued. Others get fatigued every bit as well. But when you're doing in the flesh what you should be doing in the spirit, you're going to get very tired. You're going to get mentally and emotionally as well as physically tired. And you know, we recover much quicker from physical exhaustion than we do mental exhaustion. 
It seems to take a lot longer for us to get through the mental uh, difficulties than it does for us to get through some physical difficulties along the way. However, it, it is out of my weakness that I learn very quickly my need for the Lord's direction, for the Lord's presence, and the Lord's power in, in all my life. Because if I operate on my own abilities, I, what do I need the Lord for? I can do this. I, Lord, back off. I got this. I can handle this. <laughs> and then you get out and you find out, ooh, Lord, boy, do I need you. I, I made a sorry mistake to begin with. So, folks, God's grace, that which exists in the person of God, is more than able to accomplish in us more than we can possibly imagine. And so the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And so when Paul says that when he was weak, he was strong, he learned that he had to do through Christ what he could not do in himself. That means the Lord's presence, the Lord's encouragement, knowing the fact that the Lord was empowering him to be able to accomplish things that he could not otherwise accomplish. And so, folks, when Satan attacks, and any time we feel inadequate to the task or the plan that God has for our life, Remember that in the armory of God's grace, we have the defensive weapons that we need. They're all there. They're all there. This weapon is the twofold promises that God's grace is sufficient. Don't worry about what you feel about yourself. Don't even worry about what others feel about yourself. If God's called you to do something, then you do it, and you do it under his leadership and under his direction according to the scriptures. And so this weapon, as I said, is twofold grace and as well as the promise that we can do all things through Christ. Stop trying to do those things in the flesh because you won't attain to the results that he desired or that you desired either. And so it is never or should never be what we believe about ourselves, being too tall, maybe being too short, being too young or too old. Listen, we've had uh, a couple of missionaries that came through here or went on the mission field, and I don't know where they are today, but uh, they had reached retirement age, and they didn't want to do nothing, so they did something, and so they said, we're going to go to a mission field, and we're going to help missionaries. We can babysit, we can watch their children, we can do paperwork, we can do a lot of things on the mission field. And so with their retirement plans and their Social Security and raising a little additional support, they headed out to the mission field so they could, could be an aid, a missionary's aid on the field. Oh, preacher, I'm too old to do that. Well, they didn't say it. They simply said, said God laid it on their heart to do so, and they decided they were going to do that, and they went, and they went on the mission field. I think we still have one of the names on our mission group on, the, on my computer at home there. Uh, and every time I see it there, I, I think of her uh, quite often. And so we look at a couple of our missionary ladies here. Janet Burchell and uh, Mrs. Ross. They're still busy. And they're in their 80s. Well, I don't think Janet Ross is, uh, Janet uh, Burchell is that old. But uh, they're still busy in the church. They're still reaching out beyond themselves. The ministry that God had called them to initially, they're still exercising, maybe not on the same scale, but they're still being used. They could have turned around and said, you know what, Lord, I... I spent so much time on the mission field, and I'm all beat up here. Uh, Brother Brian Stensis, he got beat up on the mission field health-wise, and he came back to the States, uh, still not doing that well physically, but he still walks those country roads, knocking on doors, giving out the gospel. He still live streams to, uh, uh, go, not Gold Coast, but uh, West Coast Baptist College, work with missionary students there and the classes. They're still busy for the Lord. 
So the idea is realizing that we are exactly as tall or as short as God wants us to be. Our adequacy is never as much about what we bring to the table as it is what God chooses to invest in our yielded lives as redeemed of the Lord. That's what really matters, what God is willing to invest and what we're willing to allow him to invest in our lives by a surrendered and a yielded life. So whatever, or whatever you believe is holding you back, or keeping God from being able to use you effectively, or more effectively, know this, that God is the only one who can make it work for his honor and his glory. What we do, we do for his honor and his glory, but we do it through yielded and surrendered lives. And he says again in verse 9, he says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. Basically, you don't need anything else, amen? When it comes to, to being a, a godly father, a godly husband, a godly wife, uh, to be a godly mother, to be a godly home, to develop a godly marriage, or to have a, a ministry around and about. All we need is a surrendered life to allow God that, to work through it. He'll take care of any inadequacies that we feel we may have. And it's amazing what people will see. And so we continue and it says, uh, for, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Folks, I think every one of us from the pulpit to the pews and to home as well this morning, what we need is more of Christ in our lives. Less of self, more of Christ. Isn't that what uh, John the Baptist said? He said, I must decrease, he must increase. And it's amazing the strength that you'll find in spite of whatever you feel or the devil tries to convince you that you have as an inadequacy. You turn around and say, my adequacy is not of me. It's of the Savior, the Lord, who is Lord and King of my life. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you for this time that we can be gathered around the Word of God. And just, Lord, I know that we're living in a day and age, and, and Lord, who knows what uh, the future holds, but Lord, I know that things are going to get tough. Things are not going to become easy, but Lord, we do know that you're going to guide us, you're going to direct us. And that, Lord, if we'll fully surrender and fully yield, then, Lord, whatever shortcomings we may feel we have, whatever inadequacies the devil's trying to convince us of, or whatever memories he's trying to dredge up from the past that's going to hobble us in, a, in our spiritual growth and the exercise of our faith, then, Lord, we do ask and pray that uh, we will be reminded that this is the time when I find myself waxing strong in the Lord. Because he's not going to tell me anything new. Lord, I know that he's going to only remind me of things of my past. But Lord, those are the things that are under the blood. Those are the things that you took care of on the cross of Calvary. And so Lord, I need to bring my flesh under subjection. And I pray that each and every one of us will realize that we need to bring our flesh under subjection. So that Lord, we can find the strength that we need to persevere. Whether it is our age and we're finding we can't do what we once used to do, but, Lord, we can still do something. And we can do more than we think. And so, Lord, you guide and direct in this invitation time. 
heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'd ask you today, have you reached that place in your life where you feel that, well, I don't think I can do too much more? Or maybe you're thinking, I don't have the experience that I need. Or I don't have as much knowledge as I would like to have to be able to move forward. Listen, God's not going to bring you to a place where he's not going to equip you to do what you need to do. And so don't let the devil keep beating you down. Reach into the army that God has and grab a hold of God's grace and say, as did Paul, I can do this. I can do this for the Lord Jesus Christ. Preacher, would you pray for me as we pray for you? There are some things in my life that I find quite challenging. Things that are not quite easy. And, and I've been making a lot of excuses about maybe spending adequate time in, in Bible reading or prayer time or even giving out tracts when I can do with all of these things or praying for brothers and sisters in the Lord. Preacher, would you pray for me today? Yes, I see hands here. The hands are there. Listen, if God calls you, he's not going to call someone that he's not going to equip. Whether it's to give out a tract or to talk to a neighbor or talk to a friend or talk to a family member. And maybe this one saying, preacher, I'm not even sure if I'm saved. At home, you can make the same choice, same decisions at home. That you do not know where you're going to spend eternity. Now would be a good time to come to know the Lord. As we see things growing in the Middle East, we, we may not have as much time as we think we have. We need to be focused. And we need to be focused on the coming of our Lord and Savior to gather us unto himself. And to realize that others are going to be left behind. And if you're one of those who does not know where, he or he, where you are going to spend your eternity, then today is the day that you need to receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior because when the rapture occurs, it's too late. You've heard the gospel, you've heard the message, you've rejected it, or you've postponed it, and when the rapture occurs, you have no hope. Now would be a good time to do it. Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together, gathered around your word. And Lord, it's just sometimes it's just a simple word. But Lord, it's a very debilitating word. Lord, it's holding Christians back. It's holding families back. It's holding fathers and, 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 and mothers back. And uh, Lord, it ought not to be. And Lord, our adequacy is always found and rooted in our relationship and our walk with you. So Lord, you guide and direct for those who raise their hands and, uh, and others who, Lord, are already there. That we would keep on keeping on for the Lord. And to realize that we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. Now, Father, won't you dismiss us with thy blessings? We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And all God's people said, Amen. If you're staying, I better say grace up here while I'm here. Father, we thank you for this time of fellowship downstairs. We pray that uh, you'll bless the conversation. Pray with Brother Steve as he brings the message this afternoon. And we pray these things.